in, uh, I don't know, over 20 years, somewhere around 20 years, that we didn't have an Easter sunrise service. I'm really excited about uh, doing that again. That'd be a good Easter sunrise service song, of course. I'm sure you've got other ones that uh, you've already picked out. But boy, what a wonderful, wonderful song that is, brother. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Numbers 21. Numbers chapter 21. But uh, before there, we go there, I want to read a uh, verse out of John chapter 3. Very familiar verse, I'm sure, to everyone that is under the sound of my voice. In uh, verse 14, it says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And now when we're talking about lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, that's what we're going to be looking at in in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 1 through 9. But uh, that was really just a picture, obviously, of what took place uh, at the crucifixion when Jesus Christ Himself was lifted up and placed on the cross. And uh, the Bible says that uh, in Numbers, that if they would look at the serpent, they would live. Now, that's what it took, was just one look, just just a look uh, at the serpent. If they would take their eyes off the ground and stop looking at the fiery serpents crawling around that were biting them, taking their eyes off of sin and placing them on the Savior and the brass serpent on the, on the pole was just a representation of, of Christ on the cross. And if you look to Him, see, it's not the look. It's not the physical eyes touching the, uh, the, the article of faith, but it is the faith that counted. You see, they did have to look, just like we have to come to the cross, like we have to bend the knee, bow the head, surrender our hearts and our lives and everything that we are to everything that He is. But it is not the physical look, but it is the kneeling of the heart that brings us to salvation before Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you have your Bibles open to Numbers uh, chapter 21, we're going to begin in verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. What I want to talk to you this morning about is the brazen serpent. Uh, Verse 1 reads like this, and when... Uh, King Arad, uh, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell of the Israelites, or heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver us or deliver this people into our hand, then will I utterly destroy their cities. Now, you know, I'm going to stop there for a second because that just grabbed me where it says that Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord. The Bible says it's better not to vow a vow unto the Lord than to vow a vow and not keep it. Uh, so I'm just saying, not concerning the nation of Israel or the people here in the Bible, but I'm speaking to you personally that uh, it is very easy for things to roll off of our lips when we're talking to the Lord. When we make promises to Him, and we tell Him that we'll do this if you'll do that. And that's exactly what this vow was. Lord, if you'll deliver this people into our hand, then we will destroy 
their cities. In other words, we will stop them from living their heathen lives against you anymore. For us to let things roll off of our lips flippantly when we're talking to the Lord is a very dangerous thing. When we make a promise to God, we'd better keep that promise because I'll guarantee you it's better for you not to make that promise and not to do whatever it is that you're feeling like the Lord wants you to do. You know, that, that's what we do is we say, well, God, if you'll, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do something I know you want me to do. Well, just go on about your business and don't do it. Live your life the way you want to if you're not going to keep the promise. Because when you make a vow to God, then you invoke the wrath of God into your heart, into your home, into your family, into your life if you don't keep that vow. Verse 3 says this, And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel. In other words, He's listening. He pays attention when you talk to Him and you make promises to Him. Lord, if you'll touch me, if you'll heal me, if you'll move in my child's heart and save him, if you'll give me a job, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do what it is that I know you actually demand from me. First of all, if we know that God demands it from us, we shouldn't use it as a tool to leverage him for what it is that we want. The Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And He called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged by the way. Sometimes the way gets tough. But my friend, when the way gets tough, the tough get going. Amen? And we who are called by the name of Christ, we understand that living the life that God has called us to live, it's not a picnic, it's not a bowl of cherries, it's not easy. Oh, I know it's a lot easier here in America than it is in some third world country. Well, I'm not so sure that that's true. Because in third world countries, they don't have all the temptations and the pleasures of life and the things of luxury that hold them back the way that we do. And then in verse 5, it says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, and we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass put it upon a pole and it came to pass that if a man uh, was bitten by the serpent, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house with your people. God, we ask that you might come in fellowship with us, move in our hearts, move in our lives, our homes, our families. God, move in our nation. We need you so desperately bad in our land here today. 
God, forgive us for our sins. Strengthen us where we're weak. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. You know, people follow the Lord because because they know what's right. We we know. We've been here long enough. We've heard enough of the preaching of God's Word to know what's right and what's wrong. And, and a lot of people are following Him just because, well, they've been taught at home by their mama or by their Sunday school teacher about what it is that God expects from us and what we should do. And, and they follow Him because they know that it's the right thing to do rather than following Him because they love Him. You see, love should be the motive behind everything that we as Christians do. Well, the people were following after the man of God. They were following after the God of the man because they believed that it was the right thing to do, but not so much that they really loved Him. And I'll tell you what, when you do something because you feel like it's right, but your heart's not really in it, you're not really in love with the Lord. You're going to church, you're reading your Bible, you're saying your prayers, but you're doing it because you want the blessings of God in your life. But you're not doing it because you really love Him and are surrendering your heart and everything that you are to everything that He is. When you're doing things for the right reason, but in the wrong heart, then it's easy to become discouraged in the way. And that's why you see a lot of people falling away from church. That's why you see America falling one nation under God. I don't think so. Maybe at one time it was, but not any longer. We're not one nation under God. I believe Ronald Reagan said, if we cease to be a nation under God, then we'll be a, a, a nation gone under. And we see that our nation is literally going under because of a lack of love and commitment and dedication uh, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives, and yes, even in our nation. It's hard to do anything consistently if what we're doing is half-hearted. If our heart's not in it, then we're not really going to be very consistent in it. It's the day-in, day-out grind of life that really reveals who we are. And see, anybody can get up and tip their hat to the Lord, drop a dollar in the plate, go to church on a Sunday morning. But it's coming back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. My pastor, by the way, Kenneth Thornton, I remember him. He taught me a lot. He said, people who love the Lord come on uh, Sunday mornings. I'm sorry. People who love the church come on Sunday morning. People who love this pastor come on Sunday nights. And people who love the Lord come on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. Amen. And uh, I'm not going to go any farther with that, but I say amen to that. We love the Lord and we want to be found faithful to His house, to His will, to His way, we want to be faithful to the Lord. Dissatisfaction with anything. I started to say with the Lord. But dissatisfaction really with anything brings rebellion. You can be dissatisfied with your wife or your wife can be dissatisfied with you and there brings rebellion towards uh, the home and the family within the marriage. You can um, be dissatisfied with your job or your your boss, and you become rebellious towards the things of your job. How about friendships? When people talk about you and you think they're friends and you become dissatisfied with that, then there's a break, there's an ism, a schism, and a division between your friendship 
So when we become dissatisfied, like these people that were following after Moses, following after the pillar uh, of fire and the cloud um, uh, of smoke by day and night, they became discouraged in the way. Why? Because the way was tough. The way became hard on them. It was hot. There was no water. There was no food. And all of a sudden, they began to murmur and they began to complain about not only the man of God, but the God of the man. Now, it's all right to talk about your pastor and to take him home with you for lunch. And I'm not talking about physically, but I'm talking about metaphorically. Certainly, you can take me home and stab me with your steely knives and have me for lunch if you like. But you'd better keep God out of it. Amen? Because when you bring God into the picture, then you invoke the very attention and sometimes even the wrath of God. So, if our heart's not satisfied with God, it's going to wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I want you to notice three things about this nation of Israel during this time of rebellion in their heart. Now, I want to I want to share something that leads up to that. Of course, everybody here knows the story of Adam and Eve and how that turned out with Cain and Abel and the population explosion that took place right after uh, Adam and Eve sinned and Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel and Seth was born and then the population exploded. And of course, God looked down from heaven and He saw that there there was nothing but but sin all across. The world. That is in Genesis 1 through 5, and then the population explosion and the flood of Noah in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, and in Genesis chapter 9 and 10, you have, of course, after the flood, and God drowned everybody like a bowl of rats except for eight people, and He saved them uh, from water, uh, actually, by the good ship of grace, the ark that uh, Noah built. And then after that, of course, the Bible says that the earth was replenished. In chapter 9, I believe he says, go and replenish the earth after everybody was slain. And we realize that they did and the earth became repopulated. And again, along with people, not only the replenishing of the earth became the replenishing of sin. God looked down from heaven and noticed they were building this tower up towards heaven that they might make a name for themselves and that they might build a way to heaven. Amen? But there's no way that anybody can build a tower to heaven once they get to outer space, the second heaven. They're going to lose their breath and probably their heart for the job. But, uh, of course, that was in chapter 11. And then after that, after God disperses and separates everybody across the face of the earth by dividing their languages, that's why it was called the Tower of Babel. They babbled to each other and couldn't understand each other's language. God spread them around the world. And then, of course, God set His heart and His affection, His eye on one man, and it was Abraham. And... Uh, Genesis chapter 12, and he called Abraham out of the land of Ur, out of the land of Chaldea, and he said, I'm going to make of thee a great and mighty nation. And of course, you know the story, Abraham and Sarah and Lot, and they made their journey to the promised land. When they uh, got there, of course, Abraham and, and Sarah finally had a son in their old age, 190, uh, 190 prospectively years old. And of course, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac 
uh, gave birth to a couple of sons named Jacob and Esau. And um, Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That's in Genesis chapter 35. So you go from Isaac chapter 17 all the way through 35. And you find the history of the nation of Israel. And then, of course, at the end of the history of uh, the nation of Israel, one of those 12 sons, Jacob, gets sold into bondage, into slavery. They go into the nation of Egypt, and he becomes the number two man there. And uh, you know the end of that. They come to buy food during the drought. They run into Joseph. Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he forgives them. And the whole nation explodes in population in uh, Egypt. And then there's a new Pharaoh, a new sheriff that comes to town that is not so favorable to Jacob and the house of Israel and the nation of Egypt. And he makes them slaves and they are, are put in bondage. And of course, anytime bondage comes, anytime slavery comes, anytime suffering comes, heartache comes, what happens? Well, that causes the man on the inside to rise up in his voice and prayer towards God. And God heard their prayer for deliverance. And God raised up a man named Moses to deliver them from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. And Moses, of course, goes into the people, uh, into the Pharaoh and says, God told me to tell you to let my people go. And of course, he got laughed in his face, uh, laughed at in his face by Pharaoh. I'm not letting you. I don't know your God. I'm not afraid of your God. I don't believe in your God. I'm not even sure that he's a real God. And uh, of course, he was made to believe by God through all of the plagues that came. And now they are wandering around out in the wilderness. God sets His people free from the bondage and slavery of sin in Egypt and sends them out into the, into the uh, actually the desert named sin. And they make it to the Jordan River instead of crossing over and taking the land the way God said. They came back with a bad report and they wind up wandering around out into the wilderness and uh, murmuring against God and against His servant, the man of God, Moses. And here in Numbers chapter 21, you look at uh, what it says in verse 1. It says, And when King Arad the Canaanite which dwelt in the south heard that Israel came by the way of the spies, uh, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord, Lord, if you'll just deliver this people into our hand, then we will destroy their cities and we will not allow them uh, or suffer them to live any longer. And of course, God heard that plea, heard that cry, and delivered the people into their hand. And in verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, and compassed the land of Edom, and their soul was of the people was much discouraged. I want you to notice these three things, and you'll have the message. First of all, I want you to notice their their sin. And not only the three things, but their sin, like these three things that I'm going to point out, their sin was threefold. First of all, in verse 5, we see that their sin was against the man of God. A man, the man or the servant of God. Verse 5 says, And the people spake against God, against and against Moses, and said to Moses, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die 
in the wilderness. Now, I want you to realize it's kind of like kind of like Paul, you know, walking down the side of the road, and all of a sudden God shows up and blinds him and uh, knocks him to the ground and speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, Who art thou, Lord? Uh, uh, and uh, he says, Me, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And I could almost hear uh, Paul in his heart and in his mind, and he's like, No, no, Lord, I'm not. I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these. These Christians. Don't you understand that persecuting the people of God is persecuting God? Now, of course, we, we understand that, that they didn't realize that their sin, they thought they were persecuting the man of God, Moses. And if you don't like God, you're not going to like the people of God, the servants of God, the ministers of God. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. So it's not only about the minister of God or the man of God, but the people of God. When we go out into the world, and that's what we're talking about, not all of Israel was Israel. And a lot of the people that were wandering around in the desert that were murmuring against God and against the man of God were not the people of God. They were the world. Do you know that there are tears in the church as well as lost people out in the highways and byways around us. And they are not the friends of God. They are not the friends of the church. They are not the friends of the people of God. And the sin of the nation of Israel was that they had rebelled and rejected not only the man of God, but the God of the man. And we'll see that in a minute. But I want you to realize that they rejected the servant of God and they even rebelled against the provisions of God. You look again in verse 5. It says, The people spake against Moses and against uh, God. Wherefore have you brought us out, in, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. For our soul loatheth. This light bread, and that bread, that manna from heaven, was who? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a picture of the bread of life come down from heaven. So the people of the world, the worldlings that were supposed to be the people of God, following God, following the man of God, following the Son of God, the light manna that came down from heaven, were doing nothing but mumbling and grumbling and complaining against the, well, the provisions that God had made for them. First, Jesus says that He is that bread of life that cometh down from heaven. And second, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, and Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, hey, by the way, does man live by bread alone? No, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You know, many of God's people have partaken of Christ, but they, they're starving to death when it comes to the Word of God, the bread of God. This, this is the bread of life. And if any man will uh, eat my body and drink my blood, you understand what Christ was saying when He hung on the cross as the brazen serpent was lifted up, as Christ was lifted up in His broken body and His shed blood for the sins of His people was poured out on that cross uh, as Christ 
said those final words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And of course, not only had God turned his back on his only begotten son as the son became, not suffered and died for our sins, but that he became our sin and the wrath of God was poured out on the son as the wrath of God should have been poured out on our sin while it was attached to us. But as he turned away from Christ, my friend, I'm sure he saw every man, woman, boy, and girl down through the ages that would also turn their back on him. Certainly, we are all guilty of that to some degree. There have been times in my life when I was lost, of course, all of the time, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year of my life when I was lost, I had my back turned to the Son of God. But even when I became a Christian and bent the knee and bowed the head, surrendered my heart, my life to Him, and He came to live on the inside of me by grace through faith, there has been times in my life that I have turned my back on the Lord. I regret every one of those. Would to God I could go back and undo some of those, but it is a little bit too late. But my friend, I want us, you and I, to spend our lives not only meditating on the Word of God, but you know, it, it's uh, when you when you assimilate, not just meditate, because meditation is something that you do outwardly, but assimilation. Is something that you take inwardly, that you pour the Word of God into your heart, into your mind. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you renew your mind by taking the bread of life, the Word of God, and pouring it into your heart, into your mind, and it transforms you into the image and the likeness of Christ. So their sin, their sin was threefold. It was against the servant of God. It was against the provisions of God. But ultimately, we see in verse 5 that it was really, as David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. In verse 5, again, he says, uh, the people spake against God. I mean, how many, you know, we, we speak sometimes not verbally, not, not outwardly, but we speak by our actions, amen, against the things of God. How do we do that? By doing the things of God tell us not to do. By not doing the things of God tell us to do. But see, these, these people were, I think, lost enough to literally let the words roll off of their lips that God is unjust. God is not fair to us. We were fine back in Egypt with the seasonings and the food and all of the things, the comfort, the creature comforts that we had while we were in Egypt, not realizing that they were slaves, not caring that they were saved. Some of us don't realize where we came from out of sin and out of the bondage of slavery to sin. We were, we were literally slaves to sin. And it was the blood of Christ that set us free. And when we mumble against the things that are going on in our lives, the way, well, you know, I could have it better. 
It was better before, and it's not as good now as it was before. And it's God's fault. God's powerful. God's supposed to be all-loving. Obviously, He's not, or He wouldn't let me deal with what it is that I'm dealing with. You see, we would never say that. We would never let those words roll off our tongue. But it's so easy for us to live a life that screams it. We need to realize and be conscious of the fact that everything that we say, everything that we do, we're bringing as Christians, we bring God into it. When we go out into the highways and byways, when we go to Walmart and people see us get upset with a teller and we tell them off, we tell the teller off, and we maybe even use a little foul language while we do it. What we're telling the people around us, do you look at me? Do you see God in me? God cusses. God drinks, God cheats, God steals, God lies. You see, it's the lifestyle that we live is the representation of the God that we serve to the world that is around us. So when we live the life that God has called us to live by the glory and the grace of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we bring glory and honor to God. But when we quench the Spirit and we allow the flesh to rise to the top, then we're no different than the nation of Israel. And of course, we see what happens. We see not only their sin, but boy, now we see their sorrow. We see what takes place in the lives of those people who go by the name of Christ. We call ourselves Christians, and Christ is Christians, little anointed ones. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. And we're screaming to the world, look at me, you'll see Him. And sometimes they get a blurred image or vision of what God is really like. And then, of course, we uh, invoke the wrath of God in our lives. And we become very sorrowful for the things that we've done. And we want to cry out, you look at verse 6 in chapter 21, in the, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 5. Let's read that one more time. And the people spake against God and, and against Moses. Where have, uh, wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, no water, uh, only this light bread that our soul hates. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people in Israel died. Therefore, what do you mean therefore? What is therefore therefore? Because of what was just said previously in that verse. Because the fiery serpents were sent among the people, and they bit much people. And I'm sure that fiery serpent, it wasn't a serpent that was set on fire. It's when they bit you, it felt like fire was coursing through your veins. And they cried out to Moses, We've sinned. Beg God for us. Go to God. Pray for us that He take away the serpents from us. Do you see the sorrow for their sin? You see, there's two different types of sorrow, the Bible says. There's a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. The worldly sorrow, the Bible says that worldly sorrow leads unto death. But the godly sorrow leads unto repentance 
and life. So God gives them the opportunity to choose. I said before you this day, choose you this day whom you may serve. The God of your fathers on the other side of the flood that we talked about earlier with Noah. Or choose you this day that you'll serve the true and living God. And when Moses went to the Lord and prayed for the people, God heard the cry, not of the people, but of the man of God on behalf of the people. And God says, fine, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build something that looks like, it's not that, but it looks like that, that are biting the people. And I want you to build it on a pole and I want you to stand it up in the middle. Now listen, you don't build a serpent of brass very quickly. That takes a minute. You've got to imagine these people are still running around hiding from snakes and getting bit and dying while Moses is building a brass serpent. And some of them are, you know, hurry up. Finally, he got it stood up in the middle. And now there's a choice. Choose you this day. Are you mad at God for sending this fiery serpent so mad that you're not going to look? Or are you really aware of the reason behind He sent the fiery serpents? It was because of your sin. And are you truly, genuinely remorseful and repentant? Not just sorry, the sorrow of the world that leadeth to death. You see, if you're going to be that sorry, don't look, you'll die. There's a world of people who refuse to look. They refuse to acknowledge their sin. They refuse to acknowledge the cure. They refuse to acknowledge anything spiritual. The only thing that they're holding on to is I know what I want and I want what I want and I want what I want when I want it. And I want it now. And I'm not willing to wait. And they die angry. Angry at God. Angry at the people of God. Angry at the method of God, the methodology of salvation, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die. God died. What kind of God is that? I'll not have this man to rule over me. My friend, I'll tell you what. You see their sorrow, but you see three parts of their sorrow like you see the three parts of their sin. First of all, you see their confession. They came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Now, not all of them agreed to that. There were some who would not confess, who would not repent, who would not turn away, who would not look to the serpent and live. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and 9. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. I've sinned, and I repent. I turn away from who I am, and I turn to who you are, because you're right, and I'm wrong. That's what sin is. See, sin, sin, confession of sin is not just telling God what you did. Oh God, I'm sorry, I murmured against you and I murmured against the man of God and the people of God and the house of God and the word of God. I'm telling you what I did. No, what confession really carries with it is agreeing with God. Not that I've done it and that it's wrong. He already knows that. But confession is agreeing with God that it's wrong and I would to God I'd never done it. And if I could go back and undo it, I would, but I can't. So I beg your mercy. 
I pray that you'll have forgiveness for who I am and what I've done against your holiness and against your righteousness. When a man knows that he's sinned against God and refuses, I mean just absolutely stiffens his neck, hardens his heart, and refuses to repent, it proves, what did it say about Simon the sorcerer? That thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. Simon the sorcerer, he came and he made a profession of faith. When he saw that he was losing all his followers, he was a a magician, a sorcerer, and he used drugs to bewitch the people, and all of his people were following after the disciples of Christ. So he too went and listened to what they had to say, and it said that he believed, and that he was baptized, and that he continued following the disciples and their teaching. But then, when Peter shows up, and he lays hands on and somebody gets saved and receives you know, the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. Simon the sorcerer says, hey, I'll pay you if you'll give me money to show me how you did that. I could get my congregation back if I had that kind of power. And Peter looked at him and said, listen, your money perish with you. I'm not interested in your money. He says, you better repent and ask God for forgiveness. And Simon the sorcerer did the same thing that the nation of Israel did in the desert. You go to God for us and pray. And Simon the sorcerer says, oh no, I don't want to talk to God. Uh, you, you pray for me. Peter says, I, I perceive that you're not saved. You made a profession. You got baptized. You followed. You continued in the Word, but you're lost. You're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. See, when you're bound by iniquity, you've never been set free. And he was lost. Sometimes confessions are just professions. And you can profess anything that you want to. But there's a difference between a confession, a profession, and a possession. And when you possess the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you, that is what brings true repentance not just a confession well you see their confession you see the petition in verse 7 where they said uh, therefore the people came to Moses and said we have sinned there's the confession for we have spoken against the word uh, of the Lord or against the Lord and against thee and here's the petition they pray or petition Moses pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. Now listen, let me ask you something. I know that the serpents represented the sin. And it was in the likeness of that sin. It's like Jesus Christ was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Oh, He was not sinful. But He was made in the likeness of man, in the likeness of sinful man. And He was hung up on a cross because it was the... Do you realize it was the first Adam, the first man that sinned, that failed, that plunged us all into darkness and separation from God. And then God sent the second Adam in the likeness of sinful Adam, sinful man, and He hung on a cross that whosoever would look would live. And the people didn't realize that the replica of what was on the ground that had bitten them, the serpent. You see the picture that God is drawing here? It is so easy for us 
to be afraid of the consequence of the serpent rather than the serpent itself. See, it's not repentance from sin in order that we might be relieved of the chastisement and the punishment and the heartache and the suffering and yea, even the wage of sin, which is cast into the lake of fire for eternity. But we should hate the sin itself. We should hate the fiery serpent that has bitten mankind and the poison of sin is pulsating through our veins and destroying our homes, our families, our lives. Yes, our souls, ultimately. We will be separated from God for eternity if we don't look and live, if we don't confess and repent, if we don't turn away from sin. But as the Son of Man is lifted up, we've got to realize the price that He paid. It was the fiery serpent's venom that was pulsating through their veins that actually Christ hung on that cross and died for. That we might be forgiven of that. The adversary becomes the advocate. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, My little children, these things have I written unto you that you sin not. You see, it's not just the consequence of sin, but it's the sin itself that you sin not. And if any man does, of course, we realize that we all do. But we should be striving with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of our being to live a holy, sinless, perfect life. Oh, I know you're saying, but you can't. You can't do that. Yeah, but that doesn't relieve me of the responsibility of trying. I'm supposed to put forth every effort to live like Christ lived. And if any man sin, then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see the confession, you see the petition, but you also, of course, see the affliction. Look at verse 6, And the Lord sent those fiery serpents among the people. Now, May I say it's only when the Lord sent the fiery serpents among them that they, as the prodigal son, came to himself. <laughs> it was like, what am I doing here eating hog slop out of a hog trough with a bunch of pigs when I'm a Jew and I'm not supposed to have anything to do with hogs? Now all of these people wandering around in the desert, all of a sudden these fiery serpents come slithering around and they're biting them and all of a sudden they come to themselves. See, they didn't come to themselves when they were, were blaspheming God. They didn't think about it when they were talking about the man of God. But it's only when God puts the pressure, sends the consequence. That's why I say that we should be thankful for the pressure that God puts in our lives. We should be thankful for the valleys. We should be thankful for the trials, tribulations, heartache, and suffering that comes our way because those are the things that God uses in our lives to illuminate, wake us up, and draw us back to Himself. The poverty, the hog slop, brought the prodigal son to his senses and made him realize his duty to his father that he needed to confess and repent and come back well, may I say that it is the poison of sin 
that runs through our veins, that causes the wrath of God to come into our lives, that illuminates and regenerates and wakes us up and draws us back to Himself and allows us to be reunited with the God that we have sinned against. Lastly, you see this, their salvation. And it too is a three-part salvation. It was first divinely appointed. You look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make a fiery serpent. See, it is divinely appointed. God is making the way. God divinely appointed the Son of God to give up heaven, put on flesh, become a man, go to the cross, shed His blood, and to die for our sins. If I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, I will draw all men unto Myself. And all men, of course, is speaking of men, women, boys, and girls out of every tongue, out of every nation, out of every creed and color. It's not just the Jews, but of the Gentile as well. First John chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, And He, Christ, is the propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God for our sins. And oh, not for our sins, but also for the sin of the whole world. Not of every man, woman, boy, and girl, but of every creed, nation, and kind. So it is in a divinely appointed salvation that God has given. It's also divinely suitable. And I think I've already mentioned this. The, the mode of salvation. You see, the appointment that they would be saved if they would look and live, that was given by God. But what about the image that he's painting by lifting up a serpent, which was a picture of the fiery serpents, and then the Son of God becoming also the Son of Man and be lifted up on the cross because it was the Son of Man or the creation of God, Adam, through which sin came into the world. And God moved in a way that was suitable to make man realize, listen, I am undoing what you have done in a manner like unto which you did it. Because by one man sin came into the world, and yet by one man Death passed upon all men and Jesus Christ through one man. Salvation is offered to all of men. And the blood of Christ washes away our sins. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 says that, For as by one man sin, a disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By a serpent, they've been bitten. By one in the form of a serpent, they must be healed. The only way that you can be healed is by looking unto the Son of Man, the Son of God. It's the hypostatic union. As much God as God is God, but as much man as man is man. And God as man was lifted up that we might receive forgiveness of sin and salvation and healing. But salvation is not only divinely appointed, divinely suitable, but it's also divinely effectual. Verse 9 says this, and you'll have the message. It says, And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if, if a serpent had bitten any man, how many men have the serpent bit 
All, all men, for all have sinned, all have died, all have come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Who can come? Whosoever will. Whosoever will, let him look unto Jesus. Boy, this is the message, this is the, this is the verse that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, God reached into his heart, illuminated his mind, regenerated and drew him to himself and saved his soul. Look and live. Do you see? Whoever will look, they only look because God moves in their heart. It is divinely appointed, divinely suitable. But my friend, it is only divinely effectual. In other words, it'll have the effect in the person that God illuminates and moves in their hearts and draws them to Himself. Isaiah 55 and 11 says this, So shall my word be. That goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. That means without accomplishing that which I sent it out to do. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. The Word of God does exactly what God sends it forth to do. Really? How many times? Every time. Oh, wait a minute. Sometimes the Word goes forth and it falls on a person's heart and like the sun on ice, it melts it. And they surrender and give their heart and their life and everything that they are to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and they become a child of God. But sitting right next to them, the same message, the same Word of God falls on another person's heart and it hardens that heart like clay. And they rebel and they resist and they die and they go to hell. Are you telling me that the Word of God accomplishes every time in every person what God has purposed and planned? Yes. Yes, my Word shall not ever, not one time, return unto me void. But it shall accomplish every time that for which I send it forth in the hearts and the lives of the people. Some looked. Some didn't. Some lived and some died. My friend, choose you this day. Make up your mind. Decide who you're going to follow. You're going to follow the Lord? As for me and my house, we shall follow the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love, for your mercy. We thank You for this opportunity, God, that You lay before us here this morning to surrender our hearts, our lives, everything that we are, to everything that You are. God, You gave up heaven. You put on flesh. You went to the cross. You shed Your blood and died that we might have life. Help us, God, to live the life that You've called us. Help us, oh God, to repent. Repentance is a gift, for by grace are You saved through faith. And that not of Yourselves, God, it's a gift. Lord, help us to have faith and to repent and to turn from sin, to look and to live. And we'll give you and you alone the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask you to take a hymn book. Stand and turn to page...